You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to be continuing our series in, uh, on, on David. And uh, what David has a heart after God. He's one of the most influential people in the history of the world, right? He's just one life. Uh, and we're still identifying with David thousands of years later. Right? We're still talking about David. Um, he's called a man after God's own heart. Right? Remember, he was called that by God. God said, he's like me. He's my people. Right? There's something about David. And so we've been exploring what was it about him right, that gave God such confidence to say that. Like, why would God kind of point to anybody ever and say that person is like me? Like, isn't that risky? Like, to go, like, go on record. It's like God tweeted it and didn't delete it. Like, it's out there, right? Like, what can we learn from David that might make us have a heart like God, too? And that's really the, the question that we've been asking. So week one, we learned that a heart after God is humble. I'm going to do a quick recap. We learned that a heart after God is humble, right? David, it says, did the purposes accomplish the purposes of God in his generation? David was, when you read through the lineage of Jesus, David's a name. 42 generations that are listed in that lineage. David is just one line. But he had a story. But he was just part of the story. He had a story, but he's just part of the story. He was humble. He did his part. Didn't think more of himself than he should have, but he didn't think less. I am a part. So much so that Jesus became called the son of David. Right? Generations later, it could have been not son of Zerubbabel. Right? We said... Not son of all these, you know, Manasseh, not, not son, right? son of David. That's what he's called. We have a story, and we're part of a much bigger story. When we, ha- when we have that humility in our own lives, we have a heart like his. Second week, we talked that a heart after his is hopeful, right? David's anointed king as a shepherd boy, anointed king 10 to 15 years before he ever becomes king. Maybe 20 years, we're not even sure. Somewhere in that range before it happened. And in the waiting, David never loses hope. And maybe God's put a promise or something in your heart, a dream. It's not anywhere close to being fulfilled. You shouldn't go, man, I felt like God planted this seed, and I'm just sitting out here with a bunch of sheep. I'm just sort of going through life, going through the motions. A heart like, like God's is hopeful. It never stops. It refuses to let that die. God never fails. So if you're here today, right, and you want a heart like David, that's a heart like God's. And God's put a dream in your heart. Don't give up on it. Third week, we talked about a heart after God is fearless. Famous story, David and Goliath, right? David shows up to the battle, right? And defeats Goliath. And we talked about the, the dynamics there. Fear and faith right, are very similar. They're very similar. Fear is the confidence that what hasn't happened yet will. Right? It's the belief. Fear is the belief that what hasn't happened yet will. And faith is the confidence that what hasn't happened yet will. Same definition for fear and faith. They both believe that what hasn't happened yet will. The difference is who you expect to win. Fear is faith in the enemy. Faith is trust in God. Who are you expecting to win? Faith believes that God will come through. And David says, listen, there's a very real enemy. Yes, I recognize that, but my trust is in God. It's not in my sling. It's in over and over. He says, the Lord is going to defeat you. I get to cut off your head, but the Lord is going to defeat you. All right? It's a little gruesome. And then last week we talked about a heart after God is compassionate. Right? Saul is struggling. We talked about mental illness and some of those things. He was tormented and, and struggling. And he was suffering. And David sang songs and brought David sang songs and brought Saul comfort, if you remember that. He brought him comfort. And we said, if you are if you're a Saul today, if you're struggling in your mind, if there's something that you're struggling with, God is sending you a David. Look for him. 
Look for the people that God is sending to bring you comfort. And if you are a David, if you're good, God is sending you to Saul. Look for people to which you can bring comfort. You don't need all the answers. David didn't necessarily have all the answers. You look at the songs David sang. Throughout the Psalms, he sang songs of sadness, songs of grief, songs of confusion, songs of pain, songs of faith, songs of hope. He sang it all. He just said, hey, this is me. I'm real. I'm singing it all. I don't have the answers, but I can let you know I've been there. I'm just with you. I'm here. And it brought comfort to Saul. So today, we're going to want to examine one of the most important relationships in David's life. And one that actually may have made all the difference between David the could have been and David the king. Right? Like this, I think this one relationship is perhaps the difference between David actually realizing the potential and not ever getting there. So we're going to read that in uh, 1 Samuel 18. Um, for context, again, remember David's the youngest of eight brothers. He's overlooked. Right? He's the Weasley little brother out with the sheep. Father you know, forgets that he's even got another son out there. Right? Saul is the first king of Israel. Right? And just like Israel's history, Israel, faithful and then forgetful. Faithful and then forgetful. They, they, they love God, they forget God. They love God. Saul, the king, no different. Loves God in the beginning. Starts well, not ends so well. Saul forgets God and God says, all right, we're moving on. I'm going to anoint somebody else king. Chooses David. So David's a shepherd. He's anointed king and then he goes back to being a shepherd. But then he defeats Goliath and then he goes back to being a shepherd. Right? There's a sort of this constant journey with David. And then... He serves Saul as a musician, which we heard last week, and he comes to bring comfort. And eventually he is promoted to Saul's armor bearer. We heard that last week. He says, Saul loved him so much, you're so good, I'm going to make you my armor bearer, my, my right-hand man. He goes with him into battle wherever he goes, and this is where we're going to pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. So Saul is king. What does that make Jonathan? Prince, right? This is Prince Jonathan, right? Heir to the throne. Just let's, This is Prince Jonathan, right? Tuck that away. Just, just remember who we're talking about here. It's not just some guy. This is, this is the heir. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. We said days of shepherding are over. Right? And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic and his sword, his bow, and his belt. It was a display of deep friendship, like spitting in your palm and shaking somebody's hand, right? You know, anybody ever do that, right? Pinky swears. It's, I don't know. You get your secret handshake or your clap, right? Whatever it is that's like, you know, we're, we're, we're blood now, you know, yeah, we, we, you know, if you... Got matching, you know, penguin tattoos or something. I don't know. Like, whatever it is that's like, we identify with each other. We're in. We're brothers, right? Um, we're all going to get arrested. Whatever. Like, this is, this is, you're in. And he continues, verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers are like, David's incredibly competent. That's what we take away here. He's really, really good. Whatever he does, he's really, really good. See, leadership is about the convergence of competence and character. Competence and character, and David's got both. Right? It's the convergence of those. Whatever he was asked to do, man, he killed it. Literally, he killed it. Whatever he was, David was put in charge of the army. Right? He's a long way from the forgotten wilderness now. He said, put him in charge of the army. And all the people and all the leaders are like, that's a good decision. Because everybody can see. Everybody can see David's got it. Whatever it is. 
David's got it. He's not, they don't see David the shepherd anymore. Remember when David went to fight Goliath? Saul's like, who are you? Now all the people are like, yo, yo, this guy's for real. Whatever has happened in David in, this, in these years of shepherding and, and going back and forth, whatever's happening, David is transforming into this person that everybody's saying there's something there. They pick it up in verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, be Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. So the women came out to meet the king. They're coming out to meet the king, and he's walking through, and he's feeling good because his army just defeated the champion, Goliath. Like, they're feeling good. Saul's getting all the praise. This is awesome. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Ruh-roh. This made Saul very angry. Say, what? What's this, he said? They credited David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? He only killed one guy. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. This is huge right here. We already know that Saul has forgotten God, right? Saul has moved on from God, which is why God has abandoned him, remember? Saul chose, I don't want God anymore. He disobedient, walking his own way. He's now tormented and struggling in his mind, and now the seed of jealousy has been planted in his heart. It's very easy for the seed of jealousy to be planted when you're separate from God. Once you're apart from God, all sorts of things can be planted in your heart. Let me ask you, what did David do wrong? He did whatever he was asked, and he did it well. Jealousy is the fruit of selfish roots. Saul was so consumed with protecting his own interests, he couldn't celebrate somebody else's success. Even though it had nothing to do with him. David didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes people are jealous of you, and you didn't do anything. Just remember, jealousy almost always is the fruit of selfish roots. It's not about you. It sets Saul on this tragic path. We pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Skip to chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Can we just pause and let that sink in? To assassinate David. The kid who just beat Goliath, right? Like, kill him. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, right, told him what his father was planning but tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. Verse 3, I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell him everything I can find out. Verse 4, the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were, you were happy about it then. Let me tell you. you can I remind you? You were throwing a party a couple days ago. Remember we were dancing, the ladies singing. You were all good until, until then. right? You were happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. And he finishes, So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Let me just, if Jonathan hadn't said something here, Saul. What happens to David? He gets whacked. Right? Concrete shoes, right? David's gone. Right? They just they take him out. 
If Jonathan doesn't say anything, that happens. Jonathan very likely saved David's life. And he stood up for him. I'll tell you, sometimes great friends defend you against false accusation. How many of you want a Jonathan in your life? Right? How many of you need, how many of you need a Jonathan to go to your boss and tell him how great you really are? Like, hey, hey, come on, Jonathan, hey, let him know, let him know, hey. How many of you need Jonathan to come tell your spouse? I'm great. Hey, let me tell you, let me tell you. It's funny, but it's not funny. Once again, Saul gets in his mind to kill David. Right after this, and then goes right back to it. So David and Jonathan devise a plan to kind of see if Saul is serious this time or if he's still just like, you know, just having a moment. So Saul's having a party. There's a festival going on. And David says, all right, I'm not going to go. I'm going to come up with an excuse. And we'll see how he handles it. If he gets really upset, he's serious. If he's like, yeah, it's no big deal, then it's passed. And he's just sort of, he was just talking. Right? You ever have people you're not sure, like, they say something and you're not sure if they mean it or if that was just having a bad day or a bad moment or are they just emotional. So he's like, let's see where Saul is. So skip down to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 27. It'll be on the screen again. Skip down to 1 Samuel 20, 27. When David's place was empty again the next day, at the place of the table, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he'd go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go. We're having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I'll be there. So please let me go away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Okay, this is a little rough here. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan, you stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? So he took that well. When people attack you unprovoked, when people come at you and you didn't do anything, their issue is always with something else. And you just happen to be in the way. Almost always when people attack you. And here's the thing. Most of the time, this is going to go next level. It's not just, once again, you're angry at something else and they're taking it out on me. Anybody? Princess Bride. Come on. A little little reference there. All right. Most of the time when people are taking something out on you that's directed at somebody else, it's not even about somebody else. They got an issue with God. And there's something with God that they're just manifesting at other people because they can see you. But their issue is with God. Saul was afraid of losing his kingdom. He's angry at God about it. He's threatened about it because there's separation from God. So now he's starting to blame God for it. And he's talking to Jonathan. You don't even want the kingdom. You don't even want this, our legacy. You're, You're handing it off and he takes it out on David and Jonathan. Let me just tell you, don't let... The insults of broken people land. There are people all over the place who will attack you and has nothing to do with you. Brokenness in their own lives. Often because they got brokenness with God. Don't let it land on you. Saul continued, verse 31. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, won't even call him by his name now, he'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Jonathan continues to defend David. And Saul, 33, hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill 
David. He said, if he's going to kill me, I guess he'll kill David. So Jonathan communicates the news to David. Skip down to verse 41. It says, David came out from where he had been hiding near a stone pile. And David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. And both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. Especially David, had broken. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. And David left, and Jonathan returned to the town. They go their separate ways. Because they can no longer, because Jonathan's still got to be right with his father, and David just can't be there anymore because it's a death sentence. His father's seriously going to put a spear through him. He's shooting at Jonathan, he's going to shoot at David. A few thoughts. David's brothers failed him. Where's that coming from? Think, go back in the story. Right? His brothers were not confidants, they were not encouragers, right? They were not supportive. They were voices of envy, of accusation, right, of discouragement. You remember his brothers were like, hey, you, you're just trying to show off. You're trying, you're just, because he's the youngest brother and they were passed over, so they're jealous and they're envious because it's not about David, but I didn't get mine, I didn't get credit, so I'm jealous of you, so his brothers fail him. They're not actually, they're related by blood, but they're not supporting in any way. Move on, Saul failed David. He's the one to whom David was so good. David David fought Goliath for Saul, and Saul gets the credit. David played music, and Saul is comforted. David is doing nothing but serving Saul well. And Saul's response is to attack him. Even Samuel, right? He anointed David, and he leaves. Hey, you're going to be king, and I'm out. And now it's been years. And in David's mind, we know the rest of the story, but perhaps he's sitting there going, was that guy just playing with me too? Was this all just a cruel joke? Because here I am, I was fine out in, in the fields with the sheep. Nobody was throwing spears at me then. I, had, I was good. Now all of a sudden, you put me in the limelight, and guess what? It's no fun anymore. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't ask for this. What did Samuel do to me? Why did he anoint me king? Because now it got me in the castle, and guess what? They're trying to kill me, and now I've got to leave. I, it's just been nothing but pain. David could sit there and feel, maybe this is all a joke. Let me ask, how easy would it have been at this point in David's life, right here, for David to have hardened his heart and say, I'm not letting anybody else get close to me. Too many people have let me down. Too many people that should have fought for me didn't. I'm not going to trust anybody else anymore. It's so tempting to keep our heart closed. It's safer to hide, to shut everybody out. It's hard to trust. It's hard to be vulnerable. Here we go. We've got a classic example. It's hard to trust. Right? Yeah. You know what's going on here, right? What's coming? What's coming? Yep, he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. No, you're not going to do that again. Here we go. most stupid person alive. Come on, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball and you kick it. Hold it. Ha! You'll pull it away and I'll land flat on my back and kill myself. But Charlie Brown, it's Thanksgiving. What's that got to do with anything? Well, one of the greatest traditions we have is the Thanksgiving Day football game. And the biggest, most important tradition of all is the kicking off of the football. Is that right? Absolutely. Come on, Charlie Brown. It's a big honor for you. Wow, 
If it's that important, a person should never turn down a big honor. Maybe I should do it. Besides, she wouldn't try to trick me on a traditional holiday. This time I'm gonna kick that football clear to the moon. And there you have it. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah, that's all right. You know, she just keeps them all. That's all right. You can, you can cut it there. That's good. That's good enough. It's hard to trust, right? How many feel, you know, like you don't have to raise your hand, but that's you. That's your life story. Trust people. This time will be different. They pull, they pull it away. This time it will be different. They're playing with you over and over and over again. It's hard to trust to be vulnerable. We take great risk in trusting others. David very easily could have let his heart get hard. People can be reckless with our trust. We trust people. And, and listen, they don't hold our trust as, as carefully as we hold trust, right? To be vulnerable, listen, people can let you down. They can disappoint you. Some of you have been so hurt. You've sworn you will never trust anybody else ever again. There are those of you in this room. I know it. You're sitting here saying, yep, yep, the hurt is too deep. The pain is too great. You let people in so far, but there is nobody that knows all of you because you've just been hurt too many times. David could have been there. Constantly let down. I'm never going to trust anybody. But then comes Jonathan. Now listen, think about Jonathan. Jonathan should have been the king. He's the next king in line. And Jonathan would have been a great king. Jonathan was loyal, right? He was noble. He was a great warrior. We'll read more about him. He was skilled. He was courageous. He was humble. It was his birthright. Jonathan should have been king. And Jonathan comes into David's life and can... Would we have blamed David if he'd have been skeptical of Jonathan? This is, this is the guy that's supposed to be king. Now, I know I'm anointed king. Maybe he knows that. And maybe he's just trying to play the game. Maybe he's trying to like, get on my good side so that he can stab me in the back, right? Like, maybe David doesn't trust Jonathan. We wouldn't have blamed him at all. But he chooses to trust Jonathan. He chooses to be vulnerable with him. He opens up to Jonathan. He tells him everything. Jonathan could have been the one saying, hey... Hey, yeah, come here. My dad wants to tell you something. Pump. Guess what? Dad, I'm king next. Right? Jonathan could have done that. You could, you could easily see a scenario where that happens in this setting. We just know the story. But that could have happened. So here's what we learn about David's heart through his friendship with Jonathan. A heart after his is trusting. That sounds so easy. So let me ask you, is your heart trusting? Is your heart vulnerable? Or is your heart closed, shut off, protected? Because trusting someone shouts vulnerability. It shouts, I can be hurt. It says, I'm willing to take the chance that you might fail me. But why would we ever choose to trust? Let me say, I'll tell you this. God chose to trust us. He entrusted his message to us. There's something about God. He, said, he could have done this himself. God doesn't need people. 
He could have told the whole world everything he needed to know, and people, we didn't have any points. But God chose to entrust the message to us. Jesus came and had people that he trusted. He trusted. He picked 12 guys. He was like, hey, you're my, my brother. And guess what? Did they have the potential to let him down? Uh, yeah, one betrayed him. One denied that he ever knew him. Right? They all ran away when he, was at, when he was arrested. They all scattered. There's none left. He was abandoned. Jesus knew the risk of betrayal and chose to be vulnerable anyway. When David trusted Jonathan, even with the great risk that Jonathan could have posed, it looked like God. Trust not only shouts vulnerability in me, but it also shouts value in you. It says, I need you. You matter. You make a difference in my life. See, God is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, I trust you. That's why I'm, I'm creating you. I've called you. I've given you a purpose because I'm entrusting things to you. God trusts us. A heart like God trusts. doesn't mean you trust blanketly, right? David didn't trust Saul. That's why he left. <laughs> doesn't mean you trust everybody. But the question is, do you trust anybody? God knows what you need. He cares about you, and he sends you exactly who you need. We all need a Jonathan in our life. Someone that we can trust completely. Everybody needs a Jonathan. Jonathan believed in what God had put in David. He spoke into David what he perhaps questioned in himself. Right? Jonathan was louder than the critics. He defended David from those who sought to harm him. So let me ask you, do you have a friend like that? Do you have a Jonathan in your life? Somebody to which you confide in. Somebody to which you tell them everything. A friend that defends you, that sacrifices for you. Jonathan should have been king. He was willing to sacrifice that for David. Do you have a friend that sacrifices for you, that calls out greatness in you, that willingly takes a back seat to you, that lays down their own ambitions and goals to make sure you reach yours? Do you have a friend like that? What would you give for a friend like that? Who wouldn't want that? The truth is we all need that. You need people to really know you and believe in you and fight for you. See, in our culture, the goal is to become independent. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I'm good, right? We're born totally dependent and vulnerable. And the goal is to get to a point where we're completely independent of everybody. Or is it? Is the goal to just become completely independent or is the goal to get wise enough to know that you actually do need people? Because we need each other because God says, I choose to need people. I choose to need you. We need to need each other. Sounds silly, but we need each other. That's what, that's what a heart after God shows us. We need a Jonathan in our lives. We need somebody we can trust. How different would your life be? If you had a Jonathan with you, what accusations could you maybe get past because of a Jonathan? What self-doubts could you overcome if there was a Jonathan saying, hey, you can do this? What dreams would you refuse to give up on if you had a Jonathan? You had somebody speaking into you, believing in you, calling out the best in you, 
not giving up on you. And not just somebody. I'm talking somebody who knows you. If you want a friend like that, and you don't have one, perhaps the key is to be a Jonathan first for somebody else. Let me ask you, who's your best friend in the world? Think about it right now. Who's your best friend? What's her name? Think in your head. For many, this should be your spouse. If you're not married, who are you closest to in the world? Who's the person that knows you better than anybody else? Let me say, if you're married and your spouse is not your best friend, I'm going to say this very gently, okay? You're doing it wrong. I don't think I need to go more into that. You hear it. You need to be more vulnerable with your spouse than you are with anybody else in the world. Who God has sent to you. The conversation that we have with each other, that is the relationship. The amount that you're willing to talk to somebody, it doesn't matter titles. I'm telling you, you could, you could, right? All the time we violate these, these rules. We violate those guidelines, those boundaries. The conversation is the relationship. If you can't talk to somebody about what you're really going through, then you don't trust them. And if you don't trust them, then there is no relationship. Trust is the foundation of relationship. And that's us and God first, and then it's us and everybody else next. So whoever that person is for you, whoever is that, that Jonathan in your life, whoever is the person that you know best, let me ask you, do you know what their fears are? Do you know what their dreams are? Who threatens them? Who accuses them? What is stopping them from being what God has called them to be? What is holding them back? What challenges them? What battles they fight? Do you know what that person close to you, do you know what they're going through? Be a Jonathan to them. Are you willing to sacrifice for them? To encourage them, to defend them, to fight for them? You want somebody to do that for you? Be that for somebody. Whoever that person is for you, what are you doing to help them overcome? Are you being a Jonathan? I'll call Nikki up at this time. I'm going to close in just a moment. See, because here's the thing. If you'll be a Jonathan, and here's one of you, you may find that that relationship is the key to you actually being the best you that God has made you to be. David was able to become king because he had a Jonathan defending him, fighting for him, speaking into him, encouraging him. Because David could have just run. He could have said, forget this. I don't buy this. This guy, wants, he's the king. He wants to kill me. I'm not cut out for this. Maybe Samuel was wrong. I'm out. And Jonathan, who's the next in line, said, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you're who God says you are. You want a friend like that in your life? We need a friend like that in your life. Are you being a friend like that? Here's the thing. Sometimes that said spouse first. But God may bring somebody else into your life too. And it might not be who you think. If you're not married, it might be somebody, or you maybe you are just not somebody who you think that might be somebody to speak life into you. Just begin to speak life into other people around you. A heart that is trusting. Guess what? When you're open, guess what? When you're closed, you know what can get into your heart? Nothing. No hurt can get in. No disappointment can get in. No attack can get in. But you know what else can't get in? No encouragement. No love. 
No faith, no strength, no life. When we shut off, that's not God. It's not a heart like God. David, he said, I choose to be vulnerable. And God was able to speak directly into his heart. No matter who tries to kill you, no matter what anyone says about you, no matter who questions your motives or attacks your characters, no matter what tries to sabotage your dreams, God will send people into your life to speak life into it. If you will let them in. A heart after God is trusting. This might be one of the hardest ones. David found that out through Jonathan's deep friendship with him. And I believe it was that realization. It was the realization of Jonathan's role in his life that led David to write these words. It's in a psalm somewhere, and it goes like this. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Come on, you know this. Please swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, right? <laughs> I can't sing it. I'm sorry. It's terrible. Lean on me. right? If you have things you need, David says, lean on me. Lean on me. A heart that after his is hopeful, it's humble, it's fearless, it's compassionate, and it's trusting. If you have a heart like that, it's going to look a lot like Jesus. My guess is a lot of you in here need, need a Jonathan in your life. And my guess is also that there's a lot of Jonathans in here or somebody else. I just want to pray that over you today. And then we're going to go have a party. Sound like a deal? First talk to Bob, but then we're going to have a party. I want to pray that whatever you need, perhaps you've been hurt, perhaps you've guarded your heart. And if you didn't know, that was a song. If anybody didn't know, lean on me. Maybe you didn't. Hopefully you guys know that. Hopefully you picked that up. That's not a psalm. That's not a psalm. Bill Withers wrote the psalm, but I mean, it's a different psalm. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, God, you see us. You know our story. You know our history. God, you know the things in front of us right now. You know the giants yelling at us. You know the, the people that should be fighting for us who are attacking us. You know the, the pain that we carry. And the temptation that is in front of us to shut down. To close off the world. Say nobody can get in then. Been hurt too many times. I'm not letting anybody else in. Got a heart after yours. Lord, it's, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's terrifying. God, would you do a work inside each and every one of us? And if you're in here today, as we're praying, and you've got a hard heart, you know you've been hurt too many times, and you just can't open it on your own, and you need God to help you. Say, God, I, I, I'm not sure what that looks like, but God, I, I need you to do a work in me. Just raise your hand and say, God, look at me. I need help. Raise your hand. God, look around. See our hearts, God. God, you see our hearts. Now do your work. Keep us from hardening these hearts. Let them be open. 
trusting and vulnerable. But so that the people that you send speak life, hope, and dreams into us. If you're in here today and you're willing to be a Jonathan for somebody, you know that, that God has put somebody on your heart, somebody in your mind, and you go, I've got to encourage them today. I've got to speak life into them today. You know exactly who it is. Would you just raise your hand and say, I commit to being a Jonathan today. God, look around, see our hands. Lord, we commit today to being encouragers. We commit to allowing you to use us to bring life to other people. God, would you do that today in and through us? Make us Jonathans. Lord, and even in our pain, help us to speak life into others. Because Jonathan had pain. His own father threw spears at him. Yet, he chose to be an encourager. We don't have to be perfect, don't have to have it all together. We just have to know that you're for us. And if you're for us, who can be against us? Help us to love and to trust. Work in our hearts today. We commit this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.